You know, I always say this, or maybe I don't always say it, but I like to say it. There's a lot of places you could have chosen to be today, and it is good. It really is good. You've chosen the best place to be, and that is in the house of the Lord. I am Pastor Tim. I'm, for those of you that are visiting, I'm the executive pastor. Our senior pastor, Pastor John, is with family this weekend for the Thanksgiving weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and a great Thanksgiving weekend uh, the Allen family did. We, you know, like many of you, we got to be with family. We were at our daughter's house and her husband's house, and we had both our daughters there and both their husbands, all four granddaughters, which is always nice. Harriet was with us. We had some friends from out of town. It was just a great day, and oh, the food. I just want to go on record as saying the Allen girls know how to cook. And it hurt me. <laughs> Got to see the Redskins beat the Cowboys? <laughs> hey, we were on a six-game uh, Thanksgiving losing streak to the Cowboys. It's about time the good guys won. Um, you know, as we sat around, you know, we, as a family, we, we watched Elf. <laughs> a funny movie. But you know, it's a happy guy. And uh, I caught myself as I had a variety of granddaughters sitting in my lap from time to time. I caught myself thinking about all the amazing things that happened in the Allen family this year. Things that, revelations that we received that we didn't have last year at this time. I trust you had times to be reflective and to think about the good things that God's done in your life. I mean, when you think about it in the nation we live in and the place in the world that we live, how can we not be thankful. I mean, it's just almost impossible. I, I guess it's possible, though, if, you, if a person feels like they're entitled to those things, you know, if they maybe take those things for granted. I guess it is easy to not be thankful or to forget about all the good things God's done. I do think on this Thanksgiving weekend, there's some application for us in those thoughts. I catch myself, I've caught myself wondering recently, as a nation, even as believers, those of us sitting in this room, I, I wonder if we take for granted all that we have because we have so much. You know, we do live in a country that is kind of centered on criticism and complaining. I mean, am I the only one that sees that? And you know, that is a, that's kind of a of an, an attitude of unthankfulness. I've noticed something in the last few years. Didn't just notice it this year, but I've noticed it in the last few years, you know. You go into October and you start seeing Halloween stuff go up. I mean, when I was a kid, people didn't decorate, they didn't put lights up for Halloween, but they do now, you know. You see these specialized stores, you know, that come in for a time to sell costumes. I mean, it's a... And then... As soon as that stuff, you know, as soon as Halloween's over, uh, you see Christmas stuff. I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, you just didn't never see Christmas stuff till about Thanksgiving was over. But now you see it, it's weird to me to see Christmas stuff going up in like late October and November. I don't know that it's necessarily wrong, but it, but it just dawned, it just occurred to me that it's almost like Thanksgiving's gotten lost in all of that. And I realize, I realize it's a marketing and money thing. 
Giving doesn't sell, if you will. I guess unless you're in the grocery business. But I mean, is it possible that we have so much that we don't need to be thankful and therefore it's kind of got lost? I know that's not all that this is all about, but I think that's there. And I think today's message, which Brian has already alluded to several times, the message that the Lord has from us for us and the passage that I just happened to be in, I think is very applicable for this Thanksgiving weekend. Because it helps us to be aware or to think about what we have. Helps us to, this passage helps us to, to at least think about prioritizing better. And before we even read the passage, I think there's something we ought to be very thankful for. I think it's something that we take for granted. I really think we take it for granted. It happens every day. It's a gift that is given to us by God. And that is the gift of choice. Have you ever thought about it? Being created in the image of God. We are given the freedom to make choices. God, we are not robots to our God. He lets us choose. And we have so much to choose from. And the passage we're going to look at today causes us or helps us to take our choices and to think about them. If you could open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 19 to 24. And this was preached by Jesus, God, something we ought to pay attention to. It's really a three-part message. There's actually three parts in this, and I'll point that out to you as I get into it, but let's read it first. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be divided, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The message is clear. Citizens of the kingdom of God value the things of the kingdom. God's people, those of us who claim the name of Christ, we value the right things. To help us to kind of come to grips with this, Jesus gives us three points to consider. Three things to help us to grasp this concept. The first one is this. He talks about treasures. Citizens of the kingdom of God, they value the treasures of heaven. He says it like this. Let's, let me read it to you again. It's verses 19 to 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So this whole idea of choice, he gives us these two choices, and he gives us the right to choose them. The first treasures. And the earthly treasures, he gives us three examples of earthly treasures. 
It's not all the earthly treasures that one could have, but it's three examples that that culture he was speaking to would understand. And the first one is clothing. Now you might not pick up that it's clothing, but he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth destroy. Clothing was considered a great part of that culture. It was considered a part of wealth, status in the Middle East. You can see a story in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua chapter 7. You might remember it. I'm not going to talk completely about it. But it's the story of Achan. And you remember the story of Jericho? They marched around the city. Obviously, God took down that city for the people of God. And God told them when they, marched, when they came into the city after the walls had gone down that they weren't to take any of the plunder. They weren't to take anything out of Jericho. And sometimes He would allow them to take the plunder, but in this case, He didn't. And Achan was a man who got a, caught a glimpse of a Babylonian garment. And it was so... He wanted it so bad that he took it even though God told him not to. And he hid it. And he, Achan and his entire family, when it was found out, Achan and his entire family was stoned and put to death. Because see, God doesn't want us... God will play second place to nothing or no one. So he's saying... Clothing can be something that we worship, if you will. For us, I mean, think about it for a moment. The question comes right away. How much clothing does one person need? I mean, in our culture, really, how much clothing does one person need? How many pairs of shoes does a person need? It's not wrong to have those things. It's not. But... We are being encouraged to not worship those things. I think the question is, is it a status issue or is it a need issue? And I think the question is clear. Could that money be used elsewhere for better purposes? He also says, he talks about where moth and rust destroy. And so... He brings in a kind of another aspect of our culture, and he talks, and rust, it's, it's not really clear in the English language as it is in the Greek language, but rust can be a reference to corrosion, things that corrode over time because of moisture. It can be things, it, but in the, in the Greek, I should say, it brings in more because it can also be things like food, food stuff that is eaten by pests or corrodes or, or decays over time. So it's talking about, again, it's just talking about things that pass away. The, I thought of the parable of the rich fool. It's a parable that's told in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21, and I think it illustrates this point. Jesus told this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. America. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Hey, self. Doesn't say that, I just added that. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you're a fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And again, the questions come to my mind. How much food do we need at home? I remember Y2K. I'm sure some of you do. And I was in some homes where they were storing up food, getting ready for Y2K. And I guess I wouldn't be telling this story if Y2K had actually happened. But, you know, they stored up, people would store up all these foods because they were afraid of what was going to happen. And honestly, nothing happened. And it wouldn't matter if it did. You can only store up so much stuff, is what the Lord's telling us. How much jewelry does one need? <laughs> you know, we're kind of a redneck church, so, and I'm one of you. I just want to ask the question, how many guns does one guy need? <laughs> really? I'm with you. How many cars? How about trophies? Motorcycles? How many electronic devices does a person need? You know, they're not really very... Um, they don't work real well sometimes. I do my sermons off an iPad because I can read it, but I have a printed copy down there just in case. They pass away. And again, the question is, is this status issue or need issue? And could that money be used elsewhere? It's a rhetorical question that has an obvious answer to it. And then he brings in this idea of theft. Now, the people that Jesus was speaking to, they didn't have savings and loans or banks. Their valuables were generally stored in their homes. And if you study it culturally, thieves would actually dig into the home because the, a lot of the homes were made of mud bricks. And so Jesus is making a reference to any value, anything of value that can be stolen or can lose value one way or another. In our day, it could be talking about inflation, the devaluing of the dollar, if you will. It could be talking about investment values could be talking about the rising gas prices, insurance, the value of homes. Anything that is devalued or taken away. And Jesus says, listen, it's all going to pass away anyway. Now a couple of things before I move on from this. Because I'm spending most of my time in this first section because I think this is where He lays the foundation of this entire message. It is clear from, from Scripture that Jesus isn't condemning wealth. He isn't condemning clothing or saving for a rainy day or anything you might have thought of as I was listing some of those things. That actually would contradict Scripture. You have to be careful not to make this hard, fast rules. It's a principle He's trying to get us to understand. There's this... I guess it's a proverb. It kind of reads like a parable. But in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, there's this proverb about the ant, the insect, the ant. And the ant is held up as, a, as something we should model after, its way of life. And it's held up for people that are lazy. Listen to what it says Go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Consider its way and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, 
and poverty will come on you like a bandit. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So see, that proverb is telling us we ought to be preparing and we ought to be wise. 1 Timothy 5.8, again, it's not necessarily saying you shouldn't do some of the things that we just talked about. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And it's important to note that he isn't speaking just to the wealthy or the rich. R. Kent Hughes puts it this way, certainly this is a warning to those who are rich, but his teaching is not for the wealthy only. In other words, you don't have to have a lot of stuff to have a problem with this issue. What Jesus has in mind are people who get their entire satisfaction from things that belong to the world only. What Jesus is condemning is the love of things and placing those things over Him. Jesus forbids us making these things our treasures. The hoarding of things, if you will. Most of us don't think of ourselves as hoarders. Hoarders don't think of themselves as hoarders. They'll argue that they're not a hoarder, but you can't walk through their house. We are all hoarders to some degree. We hang on to things because we get significance from it. That's what the Lord is trying to address here. Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Wow. So, that's some of the things of earthly treasures, and obviously we're not supposed to put our focus on those things. We're supposed to put our focus on heavenly treasures. And heavenly treasures are those things which are of the kingdom. To help you to understand, it's those things which are approved of or important to God. Not important to us, but important to Him. Those things can't be destroyed. They don't corrode. They don't decay. They can't be stolen. They can't be taken away. Even if your life is taken, they last. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has or does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man, of, the man who does the will of God lives forever. Things of the kingdom are eternal things. They are things that never pass away. I'll give you a few examples that I think I can prove from Scripture are eternal things. Certainly, first and foremost, it's sharing the Lord with unbelievers. Sharing our faith. Do you realize it's the very last thing Jesus said before He left this earth? It goes like this. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Disciples of who? Disciples of Him. It's sharing the faith with folks. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching children in our children's ministry is not child care. It's an eternal heavenly treasure because you're sharing the gospel with children. 
sharing your faith in a variety of ways, that is eternal. It actually has the ability to save a person's life. Luke 15.10 says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Can you imagine when you are with someone and they give their life to the Lord because God's used you to share something with them? What's going on in the spiritual realm? I mean, that's, that's just the greatest thing you could ever do. People tell me that they, they really struggle to share their faith and I do a lot of reading, and I wanted to recommend a book to you. It's called Tactics, A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. It's an easy read, and this guy has really come up with a great way to engage unbelievers with the gospel. I made sure we have some in the cafe if you'd like to purchase it. It's 10 bucks. costs us more than 10 bucks to get it. We're just trying to recover some of the cost, and I want you to think it's a money-making scheme but tactics. I would strongly encourage you to read it. By the way, I got it on my iPad so I could read it electronically, so I'm assuming you can do that if you have an electronic type um, device. Another way to witness is not doing what everyone else does. Not getting caught up in the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2 puts it this way, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, every time you choose to not do what the world calls you to do, I've said it many times, but you make the choice not to do what the world does. You're in a movie and you're put off by what the movie does you get up and walk out you don't engage in the things of the world that has eternal consequences and there's a whole other things praying helping those in need worshiping and serving in the fellowship of believers and encouraging one another giving to the work of the lord you know i hear people i hear I have buddies that are in the ministry and they all are struggling. Their churches are struggling with finances. And I hear it's the economy. It's not the economy. It's not. Because we had this problem before the economy went haywire. What it is, is we don't really want to give to the work of the Lord until we've got everything we want. There's a couple in Tulare that we know. I won't tell you who it is. Talked to the young man yesterday, and I was really touched. I heard, I heard about this, and I wanted to confirm it before I told you the story. But they lived in a really nice house in a nice part of Tulare, but they had a heart for a certain community on the south side of town. It's a rough community. And they decided to sell their home and to buy a home in that community because they wanted to reach out to that community. Now that's kingdom thinking, folks. It really is. I wonder how many people would be willing to do that. Now the question is, how do you diagnose if you have a problem in this area? Well, Jesus tells us. He really gives us the diagnostic um, device. It's in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do you diagnose if you have a problem? Let me just say this to you, and I'm going to say it to me. 
It, it's to all of us. We have a problem, folks. We don't have to diagnose a problem because we've, we, we've got a problem. If you live in America, if you're sitting in this building or standing here, we have a problem. We are all struggling with the pull of the material. We are. Let's face it. I find it hard to believe that anyone in this room isn't rich. I mean, who in this room, don't raise your hand because there might be a few, but generally speaking, who in this room has ever gone without food? Just missed one meal. Who in this room has lived outdoors and has not had a roof over their head? Who in this room struggles to get clothing? Folks, come on, we got a problem because we got it all. See, the reason we don't consider ourselves rich is because we to the wrong people. We compare ourselves compare ourselves to the abundance, not to poverty. And when you think Jesus says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." See, the heart in that for that culture was the sinner are. It's it's your total being, and there's a truth held within this. What Jesus is saying is. It's, the truth is this, that we tend to move towards the object on which we fix our gaze. D.A. Carson puts it this way, what we value tugs at our minds and our emotions. It consumes our time and our planning, our daydreaming, and our efforts to achieve. We think about our treasures. We are drawn towards our treasures. We fret about our treasures. We measure other things and other people by our treasures. This is so painfully true that a person who honestly, now there's the key, a person who honestly examines himself can pretty well discover what his real treasures are simply by studying their deepest desires. How do you diagnose the problem? I'll give you some questions. What dominates your thoughts? What do you dwell on and think about most of the time? Is it Material things and earthly things, or is it the kingdom? What occupies your thoughts when, when you have nothing else to do? What occupies your daydreams? You know what you think about. That'll tell you where your heart's at. Do you think about ways to give and work in the kingdom? Ways to witness to your neighbor or your co-worker or that boss that you can't stand? Or do you think about your job, your investments, your position at a company? Are you checking your fantasy football league right now? Because you could. Maybe you're thinking about the team, your team, and you're checking whether or not it, they're winning right now. What about your physical life? Does, is your life, do, you, do all, you, all you think about is just your exercise and getting fit? I can tell you as I approach 60, it doesn't last. That doesn't mean it's not valuable to do, but some people are consumed by that. What do you fret about? What do you worry about? You worry about your home? How big or nice does the house have to be? Your clothing, whether or not you can keep the stuff that you have. What about your rights and politics? 
What happens to your stuff if your guy doesn't get voted in? You would have thought a couple of Tuesdays ago the world ended if you listened to the Christian community. It didn't end, folks. The kingdom still goes on. What are the things that you measure others by? Oh, don't tell me you don't do that. My wife and I, we live in a, in, a, in a modest home which we love. And when I walk into some people's homes, I catch myself thinking, Lord, if I'm honest with you, I catch myself thinking, Lord, what? You know, could I just have two bathrooms? I mean, that's wrong thinking, folks. What is it you cannot be happy without? That's the question. Colossians 3, 1-3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So that's the first thing Jesus talks to us about, treasures. The second thing He talks to us about, lost my PowerPoint, just advance it, would you, Jim? It's not advancing up here. He talks about light and the eye. Citizens of the kingdom of God, they focus on what is important to and approved by God. He puts it like this. Matthew 6, 22-23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your, whole, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's really saying the same thing. Let me try to help you to see that. The first thing, what some commentators will focus on with this passage, is they'll focus on illumination or the light. And I think think there's truth in that. The eye is seen as a window to the soul, if you will and allows light into the room. It's metaphorical, or the body, if you will. If the window's clean, it illuminates. If the window's dirty, tinted, or discolored, one can't see as well. Metaphorically, it's a reference to, if you take that view, which I think has some truth in it, it's references to, the, to people's spiritual condition and seeing things correctly or not. So if you go with the treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, you know, if you have good light, you see it rightly. And there's, there's, there's some application to be made there. But I think there's something more being said here than just the illumination. I think the focus is really more on the eye. It's hard to pick up in our, in our, in our modern translations, especially the NIV, because in the NIV you hear about the good eye and the bad eye. Now, if we talk about the good eye... In other translations like the NASB and the King James Version, the King James talks about for what, what NIV translates the bad or the good eye, the King James translates that the eye should be single. The NASB says your eye is clear. So the good eye is single or clear. That's a more literal translation. It carries with it this idea of singleness and purpose. Your gaze is in one direction. Now hang on to that for a moment and I'll come back to it. When you get to the bad eye, it's interesting that to me that rabbis in that day would talk about the evil eye. I always thought that was when my mom was mad at me. 
you know. My wife has that every now and then. I can't do it. But when she looks, when she does it, oh, man. My son-in-law says, don't look, you'll turn into stone, you know. Well, that's not the evil eye, actually. Uh, the rabbis, when they would make a reference to the evil eye, they were making a reference. It was a ref reference to selfishness. The evil eye was a reference to selfishness. And you pick it up in the Proverbs. And here's where a variety of translations help you understand what the evil eye is. Because the King James Version will, would use the word evil eye, but in Proverbs 28-22, the NIV says, a stingy man is eager to get rich. And the NASB says, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. In Proverbs 23-6, did I say that? The first one is Proverbs 28.22, if you're taking notes. Proverbs 23.6, the NIV says, Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies. The NASB says, Do not eat bread, the bread of a selfish man. And that's a reference to the evil eye. So if you keep that all and put it all together, here's what I think it's saying. Is that the point is that the good eye means singleness of purpose, undivided loyalty. Their eye is fixed on the things of God, the treasures in heaven, if you will. And the result of that, by the way, the result of having a single clear eye focused on the things of God is generosity. The bad eye is full of darkness and therefore is void of revelation. And it's selfish. That's the things of the world. That's what the things of the world are. All they care about is themselves. I think this is why 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money, it doesn't say money, I know many of you know this, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, when we get our eye focused on the things of the world, we get pulled away from that gaze or that singleness of purpose on what God wants us to do. Matthew, 16, Matthew 19, 23 to 24 says, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think the minute I read that, you don't think of yourself. You think of someone who has a whole bunch of money or has a whole bunch more than you. But folks, we are rich, so we ought to be listening to this. It says, Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I've never thought about before that I'm rich, so I ought to be paying attention to this. I get a kick out of telling people things like, oh, you're so rich, you have all kinds of money. I do it all the time. And I, and I, get, I get a very similar response from folks, and I understand it. The response goes something like this, well, when you find it, would you please give it to me? That's what I get from folks. And again, we are so rich. When someone says we are rich, we ought to go, you know, we are. I am. I got a lot. The point is that materialism shuts out the light of Christ. It, it clouds the spirit in, a, in the way we, it clouds our spirit in the way we look at life. We begin to miss it. Because we always think there's more out there. By the way, if someone is focusing on the treasures of earth and focused on the things of the world, they're we get deceived. And do you know deceived? The word deceived, by definition, means we don't 
We don't know it. If we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived. That's why we ought to be paying attention. Because we are deceived by materialism. And we ought to take stock in what we have and figure out what does God want us to do with what He's given us. This is why we need to be honest with the questions that I posed a moment ago. I need to be honest with my responses to those questions. Then the third thing Jesus mentions to drive the point home is the concept of slavery. Citizens of the kingdom of God, they only serve one master. That's the next point, Jim. They only serve one master. He says it like this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now let me say three things about this. First, by masters, Jesus is not talking about employers. Because being an employer and being a slave is not the same thing. As an employee, you have unions and labor laws. You know, you have rights. You can come and go as you please. And it's possible to work for multiple employers, by the way. But it's not easy to serve two masters. It's more talking about who are we in bondage to. That's what it's referring to. There are two masters in the world, God and money. Which one holds us in bondage? And the Scripture says you will either love the one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And you need to understand that the contrast between love and hate here is an idiom of the day. Um, it, you need to catch what it's saying without being completely literal. We want to be literal. It's like, I've got to do this that's not really what he's saying. To hate one of two alternatives and to love the other in that day, in the, with that idiom that they use there, really means to prefer something more strongly over the other. And if you don't catch that, you've got some problems with Scripture. For example, in Luke 14.26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his children, his brothers and his sister, yes, if he doesn't even hate his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Mark 7.10 and in the, in the Ten Commandments, we are told to honor our father and mother. See, there's problems with this if you don't pay attention. The point is what the Lord is trying to say with all of this is that we need to make our first allegiance to God. Our first allegiance needs to come to Him. Just like, it doesn't mean we are literally to hate our mother and father, it just means that God takes precedence over even family members. That's what he's trying to say. Now money, I want to tell you a little something about money. Money, which is translated in, in mo most, most of our common, I mean our modern day translations, is, comes from what was used to be translated mammon. And, and that was really, mammon was more what we put our confidence in. And money, material things, it moved to that because that became such a, a part of our culture. The point is, is you can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money or the world. And let's admit it, folks. We try real hard to serve two masters. We really do. Two jobs come available. And for most people, the weightiest factor in deciding which job to take is the one that you make the most at. That's really what it's all about. 
I don't think most people think, what, what, what does God want me to do? What opportunity do I have for the kingdom? Maybe the, the lesser paying job's the one He wants you in. And I, I understand, you know, when people get promotions, sometimes they move out of town. I mean, sometimes I think to myself, do they really consider, is that what God wants them to do? I hear people, they go someplace else because they're moving up the corporate ladder, they're making more money, they believe God's given them that open door, but then they go to another place and they can't find a good church, they leave the place that they're serving at. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but my question is, do we really consider, is that really what God wants us to do? I, th- I don't think we do. We buy bigger cars, more cars. We, we go up the chain. We buy bigger and better houses. We don't even need the bigger and better houses. Oftentimes, we, we, our, our kids move out and we get a bigger home. Why? That means, I, I'm, I, I hope I'm not offending you, but I think that's the message of this here. I think it's a time for us not to just be thankful but to really ask ourselves, what does God want us to do? You know, I actually believe in what we're doing around here. I do. And I really think it's worth investing in. I see a piece of property down there and it moves me to tears that we look at that piece of property and we see an administration building and some people say it's an administration building. It's not ministry. And they fail to understand that that administration building is going to have a lot of stuff go, in the side, go on in it that is ministry. Marriages will be saved. Plans will be made. And I will admit to you, I catch myself thinking, you know, shoot me. But I catch myself thinking, God gave us a piece of property and I wonder if I'm ever going to see it completed in my lifetime. Because I think there's a community of people down there. I'm not, we're not about getting bigger and better. Nobody told me to say this. I'm sharing my heart with you. I want to invest in kingdom things. I don't want another motorcycle. I'm happy with the one I got. Even though I can't ride it right now because my knee's got an injury in it. But how do you fight this whole wrong perspective? How do you keep your priorities in the right place? I'll tell you. Be generous. Give to the work of the Lord. Not only of your money, but of your time and your talents. Think about your neighbors. Think about your communities. How wonderful it would be if we would all think, you know, I don't need this house I'm in, and there's a community over here that needs the Lord, and I'm going to sell my house and go move into that community, even though I know there's gunshots going off in that community every every night. The cops are called to that community. It's a rough neighborhood, but I'm going there because I believe the Lord wants me there. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to serve. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life.